We are back. This is the Montpelier Happy Hour with your host, Olga Peters, and collaborator, co-host, Rep. Emily Kornheiser. I also want to introduce to the show James Haslam from Rights and Democracy Vermont. How are you doing, James? I'm doing great. Great to be here with you both. And great to have you on the show, and thank you for uh, hanging in there on hold while we we got ready to have you on the air. Um, just quickly, James, remind folks about Rights and Democracy. It came about, a, it's, it's not that old as an organization, if I remember correctly. That's right. Actually, we, we launched uh, around this time in 2015 uh, when we did our big public launch um, uh, back then. So, uh, you know, we're going on our fifth year uh, doing work in, uh, in both Vermont and in New Hampshire. So, it's an organization um, that is a multi-issue organization. You know, we, we uh, you know, some organizations specialize in on environmental issues or uh, women's reproductive rights or so on. We're uh, an organization that, that supports all uh, across the board human rights uh, and, and, and recognize um, that a big piece of having our, our rights upheld and one is, is having actually a functional democracy. And so try to work with a lot of the great organizations uh, in our states and around the country to try to uh, you know, move forward a people-powered movement to, to win our rights and, and have a real democracy. And you, you being uh, Rights and Democracy, has also launched a, a, a training program for people who want to run for office. Is that correct? Yeah, yeah. I mean, part of our kind of theory of change is that we need to do everything. We, we need to organize in our communities and uh, and and uh, and sometimes you know rally in the streets and, and do those kind of things, but we absolutely need to have people uh, from our communities, people who are directly impacted uh, by the policies that get made, actually represent our communities, and and people from our movements represent our movements in elected office. Uh, so we we have a, a training program we do with a number of other organizations around the state called uh, Lead Vermont, and. Uh, uh, folks can find out information on our website, but um, you know there's uh, just kind of crash courses in uh, in being able to understand what it's like to to run for office and uh, and and this kind of skills you would need uh, to start thinking about to do that, or if you want to help somebody run for office and even you know kind of be a campaign manager for for someone in your community. Uh, Emily actually will be coming and and joining us for one of the. Uh, training is coming up and tomorrow. sharing some of her tomorrow. Tomorrow. So it's in the Southern Vermont training is tomorrow in Bennington, and I'm going to be doing campaign planning with folks. Oh, fantastic. Yeah. yeah. Um, so this isn't, this is more related to training to run for office, but I'm curious, Emily, you, did you go through, um, you went through a training program before you I ran. did. I went through the Emerge program. And now that you, having gone through a training program and served through a session, mm-hmm. what are some of the things that that you know now that you kind of wish you knew beforehand? Um, so the training programs, interestingly, really train in how to run a campaign and how to run for office and really end there. So mm. that's true, I think, for Lead Vermont. That's true for Emerge. It's true for the, for the Women's Campaign School at Yale that's bi- nonpartisan or bipartisan tripartisan um and they tend to end at the you know on election night and so that's that's what i didn't know was what all the rest <laughs> of it was um and so 
I really personally transferred a lot of my lessons from my campaign, which were about bringing many people into conversation, um, shifting narratives over sort of a large issue area into my work in the legislature. But I don't know, not all, um, certainly not how all training programs train is sort of those larger ideas. Um, and I think that something that James and Lee Vermont and Rights and Democracy really talks about is movement politics. Mm. And that being the idea that you're not just going for one election. Um, it's not about just sort of like, you know, selling something at the door, but that we're really trying to shift the overall culture of mm -hmm. what politics means and what activism means in our communities. And so I carried that forward into my elected work. Mm -hmm. um, but I'm not sure if anyone told me how to do that and I've been making it up as I go along. Right. Well, that's interesting because that, I think, James, what Emily just said goes back to what you said earlier on about what it means to have a functioning democracy. And, and it does matter who's showing up at the table. And that's something that we've been talking about over the last five weeks maybe on this show is how um, democracy is about transparency in government and government having a role in that. It's about um, how we communicate. It's about who has a right to show up. It's about that narrative. So we've been having all of those conversations, the media's role over the last few weeks. And this is sort of our last stop in our intro to democracy mm -hmm. on the show is like, what is the role of activism in electoral politics? Right. So, James, for you, what is the role of activism in electoral politics? Yeah, I mean, it's even, I, it, that's a, it's a great question. I mean, I, I think it's even more than just, you know, activism. If, if we think about, you know, political power, you know, we often think about it in other countries. You know, the news talks about, you know, kind of the, the governments in other countries, oftentimes, in, in, you know, in, in those kind of uh, terms. But in our own country, you know, who, who actually has the power in our communities? And so you think about it on a national level, obviously, uh, you know, with Citizens United, and I'm sure you've touched on some of these issues of you know, the, the role that corporations have had in, on, our, on our elections and on our government and the amount of money that they spend on lobbying and getting people elected and the enormous power that they wield. That, you know, the reason why we are using fossil fuels, even though that scientists uh, you know, have said for decades uh, that uh, it's just a terrible idea. Mm -hmm. um, you know, it is because of the power that they have, the wealth that they have. And so, you know, for, for, for us, for people that don't have enormous resources, uh, really the power that we can have is by working together. So it's people power. And, uh, and so, you know, activism, organizing, uh, you know, doing anything together is the idea that, uh, you know, we can get things done together and we can impact, you know, elections, so that's, that's the, our ability to impact elections is our ability to have power uh, in, in a political power together. Uh, and then also uh, our ability to hold people accountable. I mean, partly, mm. it, I think it's uh, fascinating to think about all the energy that goes into elections. And, uh, you know, as Emily was saying about a lot of the training programs, and we were guilty of this, too. We, we, we were just thinking about how could we get good people, uh, you know, like this elected? And we had not spent nearly enough time thinking about, well, then what? Uh, you know, how, how do we really support folks, uh, you know, once they're in that situation? And how do we hold everyone accountable by keeping people engaged between elections? And so that's a lot of what we're trying to do at Rights and Democracy is figure out ways to, to facilitate it for, for as many people as possible that you could stay engaged, understand what's happening, 
but understand how you could actually impact what's happening. And I think it's interesting in Vermont, particularly, where perhaps we don't have large corporations or, you know, Citizens United, because it costs so little to run for office, PACs have much less power than they might have in other states. But we still have a scenario where people are much more oriented towards the taxpayer than the community member mm. and where, you know, homeowners often have a lot more power in a community in relationship to their elected officials or small business owners have a greater voice than the people who work for those small businesses. And so who has the mic um, in those conversations, I think, has a huge effect. And that's often the people with the money in our communities. And I really appreciate all these efforts you've been making to bring everyone into the conversation and realize that they also have a tremendous right and responsibility to interact with their government. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, I'm glad you say that. I mean, obviously, you know, Vermont um, is, is in a particularly interesting place because, yeah, you know, people get elected spending a few hundred dollars sometimes uh, for, mm-hmm. for offices that in other states, you know, people spend tens, hundreds of thousands of dollars uh, to, ha- to have to try to, to win those seats. Um, seeing, in a, in a, you know, the, the influences that large corporations often still do have in, in Vermont. And also, I'm glad you, you know, say like kind of the way people think uh, also is impacted, um, you know, by uh, uh, strategic plans that were hatched, you know, by, uh, you know, big corporate think tanks uh, years ago. It mm-hmm. really sort of... Um, that, that we're still up against, you know, in many ways. You know, this is, again, you know, the, the, there was, as I mentioned, the fossil fuels, you know, huge amounts of resources have been spent, you know, around the whole kind of making people question whether climate change is even happening and if it's human cause and so on. You know, that, all of that stuff we're also up against. So it's not only, uh, you know, the, the, the role in elections. It's, it is, you know, the whole narrative, you know, the whole idea of trickle-down economics, which we... Uh, we know is, uh, you know, r- really a, a, a cruel joke, mm-hmm. you know, is it, actually something that, you know, it's taken years to, to really sort of debunk and, and turn around and actually try to have an economy that works for people on the planet is, uh, is about elections. It's about organizing. It's about the stories we tell, as you say. Um, and, uh, and it's just, uh, you know, multifaceted and we have to use, you know, all the tools in the toolbox to try to turn things around. So I'm, curious, James, as this movement ha- is is going forward and and focusing on elections, um, I'm still going back to, I know you and Emily touched on it, but I'm still going back to what, what happens after the election, because I think as a, members of the public, we've gotten really used to the spectacle of the campaign, and we're not paying as much attention to the policy part, which is actually where the important stuff happens. And, and so how do we um, keep the members of the public engaged even after their horse has won the race? Do you know what I mean? Or yeah. lost the race. Or, la- or lost the race. <laughs> or lost, yeah. I mean, the, so what we're trying to do, and, and I, I'm glad Emily's on the show because it's a good example. Um, yeah, yeah, I think... Um, in, in general, what we, what we would say during the election, you know, if we have somebody that actually represents, you know, our values of, of, of rights and democracy and trying to advance economic and social and racial, uh, environmental justice, uh, and 
they win the race, they lose the race. They, you know, in some ways, you can't lose that election uh, if you build a network of people that can be engaged and continue to work together uh, no matter what. So in an ideal situation, you have a good candidate uh, and they win. But even if they lose, uh, you can hold, you know, you can stay active, stay together, you know, meet regularly to figure out how do we impact uh, the decisions that get made by our representatives are, and also, you know, the state Senate, statewide offices, you know, there's all kinds of people that are uh, decision makers on the policies that affect our communities. So it's, it really is, you know, an organizing process. We need some leaders that are going to be able to roll up their sleeves, uh, you know, stay informed and strategize on, on the kind of uh, tactics we're going to do. Are we going to hold a local forum? Are we going to try to, you know, hold our uh, legislator accountable, ask them to come to a public meeting? If we have uh, someone, you know, like Emily, who is uh, is a champion of these things, uh, you know, what we did, we did some in, in Brattleboro, and we uh, and we'd love love to do more, is have regular meetings during the session, where we have, uh, you know, and we had Emily come and and uh, State Senator Becca Ballant come and and be able to talk about what's happening in Montpelier, talk about the things that that they're hearing and up against, and then also listen to the things that are happening in the community and then strategize together about, you know, w- what can we do to impact these things? Uh, you know, a lot of times uh, Montpelier can become quite the bubble where there's a whole bunch of people in the know and, uh, and, and uh, you know, a lot of policy, you know, people call policy wonks, you know, experts. And, and for everyday Vermonters, you feel kind of left out of that. And, and there's mm-hmm. often a disconnect to the realities in community and what, you know, is the created reality in Montpelier. And we're trying to break that disconnect by, by really, you know, keeping people engaged, keep people connected. We do bring regular kind of like lobby days where we try to bring lots of people on specific issues to the state house on uh, specific days so that uh, we can help pop that bubble and, and bring the stories of impacted communities uh, forward uh, and, and do that regular. But, you know, but I have e- easier way for people to uh, be involved, making a phone call, uh, writing a letter, and so on throughout the session. One thing we've been trying to figure out, or at least I think we, mm-hmm. I think I'm going to use the word we, been trying to figure out down here is, so, you know, some people call it the People's Republic of Brattleboro. Um, I've certainly heard that said about Burlington. And so we have these two corners of the state that are um, where we have a number of, the majority of people feel very comfortable in their leftness. And so one, it makes elections be fairly non-competitive processes, um, at least general elections. And for two, it means that the same people tend to come to those community forums and meetings that mm-hmm. you talked about. And so how do, we, how do we build out that lefty bubble? How do we pop the bubble so that more people um, can stand in solidarity down here with each other? and then maybe sort of impact other communities in Vermont. But sort of how do, do you have any ideas on that, James? Like how rights and democracy can really build people power across communities? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, partly you're, you're absolutely right. I mean, the same is true for, you know, a, a number of other communities in the state. You know, Vermont largely has a reputation of, of having all kinds of progressive organizations and progressive people. Um, but you know, very little uh, work traditionally has been done 
uh, by uh, a lot of the great groups out there in 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 all communities. You know, if you we, we uh, are doing a lot of organizing right now in Rutland, uh, which does not have that same reputation that Brattleboro has, but has a lot of people impacted uh, directly by a lot of this, this these issues that we're talking about. And so uh, it, it does take. Um, you know, going outside, you know, the, the beyond the choir, you know, is what we would call it, and and uh, and go out and knock on people's doors. So you know, it's going to where people are. You know, so in the summertime, it's great because there's all kinds of public gatherings, fairs, uh, you know, different places where people are out and you can go and talk to a lot of people. Um, but you know, sometimes it does. It's just you know, this is you know one of the beautiful things about you know a grassroots democracy is. Is uh, is just getting out and knocking on people's doors and, and and talking about the issues that happens obviously a lot in the elections, and uh, and you know we try to do it um, during elections as much as possible, but also you know uh, at other times here just to, to to reach people. Also, there's you know there's a lot of uh, community spaces where um, where people get together. Still, I mean, partly the challenge. You know, I feel like in our day and age, uh, we still have town meetings and. Some places in, in uh, you know a lot of a lot of places in Vermont, but by and large, a lot of the, the natural community connections uh, that that uh, we definitely have had through almost all of human history, you know, have been been being break broken down, particularly mm-hmm. in other parts of the country, but even here in Vermont. So what we're trying to do is is really kind of build those those relationships and those organizations. Um, you know, like you say, across communities. So our our organizing committees uh, and and chapters where we're able to build the rights and democracy local chapter. One of the th- exercises they do is community mapping, and it's thinking about where are the people, what are the institutions, what are the faith organizations, what are the community service organizations, where you know wh- what are the big employers, and you know who who is involved. You know who knows someone there that we can talk to. Um, I'm curious, James, I don't know if you have encountered this yet, but earlier in the show, or my obsession right now is narratives and the narratives we tell ourselves and each other and how that kind of shapes our lives. And I think one narrative around a lot of um, organizations that tend to be a little bit more on the left is this idea of... um, we're fighting against entrenched power. And that's so very true. And yet I would argue that in a number of communities, especially something like Brattleboro, the, a lot of the progressive or the left organizations have a lot of power. They're highly organized, they're highly trained. Um, their members are extremely comfortable going to the select board and, and putting forward something they wanna see in the community. And so it makes me wonder, does that narrative or that definition of, of what your you being universal you kind of, quote unquote, fighting against, does that need to change if we're going to actually shift, shift the culture? And if we're actually going to bring people on board so we're all rowing in the same direction in the same boat as one community? Yeah, no, that's a great question. I, I agree, you know, that in a lot of places, people have more power uh, than and potential power than they than they often think they do. Um, I, I do think, you, you know, 
I think that the values that we have in communities like Brattleboro and and in general in Vermont, and then the realities in our communities, there is a disconnect, right? There's a lot of profound um, disconnect, yeah. profound mm-hmm. disconnect between you know like what and even our reputation. You know, we're we're as I said, you know, we're part, we're very active in the national movements and very part big part of national movements. I'm on a couple of our national movement boards. And Vermont has this reputation that actually exceeds the reality. You know, we've, we're thought of being a much more progressive place than the reality is for most people. You know, some people might have, like, you know, pretty livable communities um, in, in pockets. But, you know, there's, you know, given that we're the wealthiest country in the history of the world and we have this great reputation, you know, we, we, we could be actually living up to that promise of, mm-hmm. of Vermont and, and, and so on. So, so we, we have a lot you know, a lot of work to do to actually have, you know, the rights and democracy we need. And, and, I, and I believe, you know, given the historic period that we're in, we're going to really need to do, you know, prepare, uh, you know, I think Emily used the word resilience uh, earlier. And I, I think that's a good word for us thinking about what we need to be building, you know, kind of the community uh, muscles that we need to be building, you know, thinking about, you know, what happened during Tropical Storm Irene, uh, you know, the values on display there of us, you know, really coming together as communities, rolling up our sleeves, making sure everyone had access to the food and housing, you know, that they need. And, you know, we're, we're putting our communities back together. Unfortunately, you know, it's obviously looking like there's going to be more of those kind of, you know, extreme weather mm-hmm. events in the future. And, and the transition that needs to happen around our economy, around, you know, stopping, treating, uh, you know, our, our whole economy, you know, that treats the, the world as it's disposable and is disconnected from the, you know, the natural uh, world that we're, we rely on. That's going to be changing, you know, in, in this period, uh, if we're going to be able to, you know, collectively survive in any way, you know, that we, uh, we are now. So, uh, you know, this idea of building capacity to have local democracy that is people coming together and determining what uh, makes sense uh, for us to do for local policies and how that is connected to statewide policies i think there's you know it's just going to be uh more and more important in the in the years to come and that we have to raise our expectations about you know the the changes that that uh we can uh, achieve together so as we think about that those future rights and the democracy that we need. Um, and that's the, the name of the organization just made such sense to me in a way it never had before when you used that particular turn of phrase. So I was excited to hear that. <laughs> um, but I'm curious sort of as we get there, as more folks who understand this are elected, as we come closer to power, what are the skills that the left needs to develop mm-hmm. in order to be successful from the inside like what is the next phase in this training program look like that teaches those kinds of skills what um as we see people like really you know further developing their community leadership what's missing for us to be successful um at governing yeah no i think that's a great great question that's definitely some of the questions i've been asking uh of of you know, myself and of, of our organization, and uh, and we've been working with some of our our networks around. There's 
one of the networks that we're part of is called People's Action, and they the reason why we joined them is because they were using this term movement politics, this idea that you know uh, they were like uh, like myself and a lot of other grassroots organizers, you know, for years did a lot of organizing but didn't really engage in the elections, you know, the electoral uh, part of political organizing. Hmm. And then they realized, uh, you know, as I did, uh, you know, that to some extent, if you want to change policy, you have to be able to impact who uh, the policymakers are or your, you know, and if your opponents are the only ones doing that you're fighting those fights with one arm tied behind your back. And so they started this notion of movement politics, and they're like, that's exactly what we're, we're talking about trying to do here with rights and democracy, and so we affiliated. And so just recently, in the last couple of years, they've been talking about the notion of movement governance. What would it be like to co-govern with elected officials, with with organized people's movements, being able to, to actually hold those uh candidates accountable but also support you know that's the thing that i i've realized watching uh us be able to get some of our members elected is it's you know there's a lot uh, of responsibility there's all kinds of uh norms and part of the culture and also you know the a lot of the um other our opponents already have a lot of strategies on how to help uh you know be able to support and impact and influence uh, policymakers that we have uh, just not put as much work in. And then how, how, how do we do it in, uh, in a way that is, um, that, you know, there really is uh, something like co-governance uh, for, for people's movements and, 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 and their candidates. So it's, it's something we're, we're starting to look at. I mean, I, I think it's interesting, um, you know, we've undoubtedly been impacted uh, as an organization and as a state by uh, you know Senator Bernie Sanders, and and I think there's elements of you know when he was mayor in Burlington, um, you know some of my mentors, some community organizers that were doing organizing in the 80s that kind of helped create the landscape for 70s and 80s, you know for for uh, what became you know his administration and some of the work that they did creating those neighborhood planning assemblies across the city. Uh, to really engage a lot more people than had been involved. Um, the way that, you know, uh, I'd worked with him uh, for years as an elected official that actually was engaged organizing, you know, as a kind of an organizer uh, elected official that had, uh, you know, town meetings all over the place, engaging people, and then helping build movements, supporting building grassroots organizations, healthcare, care, uh, the human rights campaign, you know, was definitely... Yeah, assisted by all the town meetings that he organized uh, around that topic. Um, you know, the way he's always stood with unions and helping build a labor movement. Um, you know, that, uh, you know, there's, uh, there's, I think, a lot of, uh, there's a, not, not enough elected officials that, that really try to do that. Uh, there are some, and there's certainly more now. The squad and Congresswoman uh, Pramila Jayapal comes out of the movement out in Seattle. She's, I think, another example. So I think there are some examples, but examples there. But I, you know, there's definitely a lot of work for us all to do. So here's um, one particular example of my question that I've been thinking about a lot. So um, when we look at the new, amazing, inspiring crop of women in Congress, and um, AOC particularly, just you know, has my heart. Yeah. Um, and is very inspiring. 
those same tactics would not work in the Vermont legislature, um, which has a much sort of stronger culture of get along, um, of politeness with witnesses. Um, and so that strategy of asking just like the most cutting questions um, does not work in this like overwrought atmosphere of civility, which we have in the state house, which, mm-hmm. you know, absolutely has its value. Um, but also its drawbacks. And so when I think about the particular skills that are needed in Vermont, where we have these neighborhood planning assemblies, where we have town meeting as a system, what, and we hypothetically have this supermajority in the legislature, right? Mm -hmm. And yet still, we're not getting it done. And so what what are the skills that we need to develop within us, within the movement, um, that might be different from the skills that are needed on a national level to really like cut through and make it clear that this is, you know, this is people power. This is the people's Republic, you know, like what does that look like, um, to transform Vermont from within what's missing? Yeah, it's a good question. I mean, I, I think... You're like, you asked me again, and I didn't... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, I, I think it's, you know, I mean, I, I part of, you know, part of the beginning of Rights and Democracy, you know, was, uh, for me and for a number of the other folks that, that started it, was thinking hard about the political lessons of the, the almost... Uh, groundbreaking win for universal health care yeah. and and why we didn't get there and you know uh, even obviously you know uh, Peter Shumlin got a lot of the uh, the blame there and I think uh, you know he had a, certainly a, a big role but it was there was a he's you just know, one man though right. yeah there was there was I, you know in some ways he was like the fall guy I think for a lot of the the, you know, the political establishment at the time that, you know, it was like, we, we're not going to do this. And, you know, and, and, uh, and so, but that, that essentially was a lot of the, the lessons from that about what we didn't have to be able to win. There's a lot of the reasons why we, we started rights and democracy. And, uh, and a, a lot for a large degree, you know, some of these things that are really big, like winning universal health care, you know, are, are, are going to take some time. And it, and it does come down to, uh, I think, both uh, leadership, uh, you know, who, who are in leadership roles or are exercising leadership in our communities, in our state, and also just power. You know, how, how many people do we have behind us? Uh, how much uh, power can we exercise in elections and holding people accountable compared to our opponents? And so, you know, so part of my lessons from that, obviously we had the, the opinions. I mean, people have supported things like universal health care in Vermont and in this country for for many, many, many years. It's not why, you know, we don't have it. It's it's uh, these other questions about who's making the decisions and who are they accountable to. And so, I, I mean, I, I do think there there is a degree of popping the bubble at Montpelier that is going to be necessary to win real big things because... Mm-hmm. You know, the uh, the agenda of what's possible uh, cannot just be set by uh, the people who are in power. It mm-hmm. has to be set, I think. But, you know, if we're going to get anywhere very serious, you know, it's going to take 
um, you know, this is our view that, you know, it's really going to take a whole lot of people demanding that and that if we are able to, if we're able to demonstrate that kind of popular political mandate, uh, then we'll be able to get done, you know, very good things. I think, you know, as you would, uh, I'm, I'm sure be able to attest, most of the people uh, in the legislature right now are not against things like universal health care. They, they would like to figure out how to get there, just don't know how, how quite to do it. So that's why I think, you know, there's some technical things, some policy elements that need to be figured out. But for the most part, for a lot of the big things we have to win, we just have to get a whole lot more people involved be able to take action together. So in order to sort of pop this bubble of fear and scarcity, um, which is a phrase we keep on coming back to, and Olga just kindly wrote in her little personal notes that I looked over her shoulder at, um, I'm, so here's a very specific question. So the power for workers, right? Like the power in a union, the power in worker organizing is in this power to withhold their labor, right? And we know that and we own that and, you know, we celebrate that and it's not often withheld, but that threat's always there. And then we look at the legislature and the makeup of the legislature and we think about sort of the left block of the legislature that never withholds its vote. And so we have the middle, you know, of say maybe 10 people, some people call them blue dogs, you can call independents, whatever you want to call them, um, who are very ready and willing to withhold their vote but good point the left block is not willing to withhold their vote they're always willing to accept good enough right and i'm you know i'm in there i'm not going to be the person who you know votes against minimum wage because it's not fast enough um you know any any trickle any trickle of um you know benefits for the workers is enough and so when you think about tactics and sort of taking the tactics of the street into the state house, do you think that the left block should be withholding its vote? Um, what does that look like? What does that mean? How is that communicated out to the public if that does happen? Yeah, it's a good question. I mean, I think there's times, you know, in, in tactics for, for, for the, you know, uh, people who are actually representing the interests of uh, the most vulnerable for them to, you know, to, to, to take public action and stand up against leadership. Um, I, I do have the philosophy, I don't think it's necessarily dissimilar from what yours is, Emily, in terms of like, you know, we, we need to win uh, as much as we can uh, in, for in the, on issues of the minimum wage. You know, we, we think we should have a $15 minimum wage as soon as possible. Uh, given what's happening in families across the state, and uh, and we think that that would be very good for our local economies, it's not. We know when it's not going to be. Uh, we're not going to be able to win it as, as fast as we'd like to, you know. But we, we, if we do our job really well, we win it as fast as we can. We can, and you know, and and we win as much as can be won, and and ideally, uh, you know, we're able to help get raises to the poorest workers in the state that are meaningful for their families. And, and then if we don't get to a livable wage, then, you know, we want as much as can we want, and we keep organizing until we do. You know, that's our kind of general philosophy of, uh, around these spe- specific issue fights is, um, is, is push and push and push, and then, you know, f- figure out how far we can get towards a livable wage in that case. Um, I, I, I do think 
um, you know, I think it's really important. I'm glad you brought up, you know, the ability for workers to take strikes. Uh, ultimately, as their, you know, uh, biggest tactic to be able to, uh, to to win games. And ultimately, in a lot of their struggles, like you say, most union contracts uh, don't come down to workers having to go on strike. But uh, it, it's an important piece, uh, ultimately, if, for, 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 uh, for folks to get. And very relevant topic, I think, for what we're up against um, and, and, and the coming weeks ahead. Uh, you know, as folks uh, know, uh, I'm sure uh, to some degree, you know, there's uh, Greta Thunberg and the youth movement, you know, calling for climate strikes uh, are really taking a page out of the, the labor movement's playbook, which actually was, you know, the, the labor strikes really started in this country, you know, over a century ago in, 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 in big ways. And it's really uh, kind of the birth of the labor movement really comes out of uh, the United States. And now, you know, the students in Europe are, and now increasingly globally are using these student strikes and calling for general strikes, uh, uh, calling for you know, massive changes. I, I do think um, that, that this is why, you know, we do what we do at Rights and Democracy. Uh, it, it would be much different what led the left bloc or whatever you call it in the legislature is taking bold positions and trying to do whatever you can there if uh, outside, uh, you know, thousands of people we're also taking some actions. We're going on climate strikes. And so that would on. be so, quite different, uh, yes. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so that, that's what we're trying to foster, is, is, is that kind of synergy between uh, community organizing, communities, and, uh, and elected officials. And I, you know, I think this is exactly why, you know, I, I, you know again, our senator is running for president. Uh, you know, this is exactly what he's articulated, uh, I think, also in that campaign, which is uh, very interesting. Uh, notion I don't think has ever been articulated in a presidential campaign again. And I, you know, this is just my organizing side, uh, just fully agrees with this notion that it doesn't matter who you elect president as much as it matters, you know, what happens, uh, after that. Mm-hmm. And that means that, mm-hmm. you know, the same kind of force that got, say, President Obama elected needs to stay engaged to continue fighting for things now for like a Green New Deal and universal health care if we're going to ever win those things. And that's exactly, you know, what some ways for us, democracy starts after, you know, you know, thinking of it right after the election. It does. Thank you. And that's exactly what I really appreciate you're trying to build in Vermont and New Hampshire is those folks who are ready and willing to step up and participate in that form of democracy. Thank you so much for this conversation. Yes. Thank you, James. Unfortunately, we are out of time. uh, So we, we need to let you go, but I don't know. I think we might need to continue this conversation somehow. So I hope in the future you might be willing to come back on the show. Oh, I'd love to. This is good. Obviously this is exactly what, uh, what we love talking about and uh, what we're all about. And um, I should mention on November 16th, we're doing our Bi-State Membership Assembly and People Power Summit down in Brattleboro. So stay tuned for details on that. We're very excited. Looking forward to it. And if people want to find out more about rights and democracy, uh, where's the best place for them to go for that information? Uh, so Rights and Democracy Vermont, um, our membership is uh, just R-A-D-V-T, stands for Rights and Democracy Vermont, uh, .org badvt.org and then also our, our rights and democracy institute website is just rights-democracy.org thanks so much for having me and i'd be glad to come back sometime thanks so much james take care you too